Our scripture reading for the morning uh, comes from Psalm 8. Specifically, if you're following along, pay attention to verse 5. Here now, the word of the Lord. To the leader, according to the Gittith, a psalm of David. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and of infants, you have founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful to them? Mortals that you care for them. Yet you have made them a little lower than God. Yet you have made them a little lower than the angels. You've crowned them with glory and with honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Dear God, on this day, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. May they lift us up into the Trinity of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, whom you are. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Two weeks ago, in a sermon entitled, The Source of Courage, I related that after a series of losses as a young adult, I remember once being asked, what does your faith give you above all else? The word that came out of my mouth was the word perspective. When I was in the heat of a troubling time, I would say to myself, this will not last forever. You're going to survive this. God is going to get you through this. That's why one of my favorite passages of scripture is Psalm 139. If I make my bed in Sheol, thou art there. Even there your right hand shall hold me fast. The perspective I described in that sermon is that of the presence of God helping us in even the worst of times. Today's psalm offers a different dimension to perspective. Following five consecutive psalms that implore God's help and support in crisis, Psalm 8 bursts forth with a ringing affirmation of the vaulted status that we have been given as human beings. You, O oh God, have made human beings a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. A little lower than the angels. Then using the words from the creation story in Genesis, 
The psalmist then proclaims the tremendous responsibility that we as human beings have been given for the stewardship of the entire created order, for all living things, including for one another. You've given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen, all beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. This status and responsibility is divinely sanctioned. You have made them a little lower than angels. And it assumes that we have the capacity to live up to it. You have given them dominion. In addition, the psalmist opens this psalm with a sense of wonder and humility before the majesty of God. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them? What are mortals that you care for them? And in the end, the psalm circles back to this same affirmation, O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I think I've shared with you before that my wife Maggie grew up in El Paso, Texas, where beauty is found in the sky. The cloud formations, the sunrises, the sunsets over the mountains in the distance. She's lived most of her life closer to this part of the country where we have beautiful trees, but they do kind of get in the way of the sky. Whenever we go to northern Maine, as we're doing later this summer, she will get up a couple of times in the middle of the night, throw a wrap on because the air is cool, go outside to look at the skies, the northern lights, the Big Dipper, the Little Dipper. I'm not quite as celestially <laughs> focused, so I tend to stay in the warm bed. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established. Like the psalmist, her sense of the vaulted status of human beings begins and ends in humble majesty before God. O oh Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. In a beautiful essay on the 20th century poet W.H. Auden, Baylor professor Alan Jacobs writes that for Auden, we human beings live simultaneously in nature and in history. Auden's poetry, Jacobs says, provides a vision of what it means to live with other embodied creatures in the polis, the human city, the human community. To live not just in nature, but also in history. In one of his poems, Auden labels this duality to assume responsibility for time. 
created by and under the sovereign God, filled with awe at, fing at the fingers of God, moving across the created order, given custodial responsibility over all of creation and all of its creatures, we humans are placed here to assume responsibility for time. You've made them a little lower than the angels. You've given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet. This is our role and responsibility as human beings. This is the perspective we bear as much as if not more than God's being with us in times of trouble and torment to assume responsibility for time. But even before the psalmist marvels at this vaulted role that humanity has been given, the psalmist makes a mysterious claim. It's hard to understand. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, the psalmist says, you have founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. Now, people who study the Bible in, in its original languages ponder what this verse might mean. The psalmist may be saying that the voices of infants itself has the power to silence human foes, human threats. And sometimes it does. Sometimes the cry of children will actually silence the fractious shenanigans of adults. The psalmist may be saying that infants and children have the capacity to recognize God's majesty in all the earth, even more than we adults have. And sometimes they do. You may remember that Jesus quotes this passage defending the purity of infant voices against the less pure religious authorities who were opposing his cleansing of the temple. Or maybe the psalmist is proclaiming that even at its earliest stages of development, human speech has the power to stand down evil. One well-known Hebrew scholar named Robert Alter even posits the possibility that the weakest and youngest members of the human community remind God of who God is. It is, as if, it is as if God. Hearing the voices of infant, infants. Awakens. And arises. To take on the enemy and the avenger. It reminds us that earlier in the Bible. When Moses was an infant in the basket in the bulrushes. It was when Pharaoh's daughter. Heard Moses cry. That she drew him out of the water and raises him in her own home in Pharaoh's court. Likewise, a few dec decades later, it is when God hears the cries of Moses and the people that God remembers the promises he had made to them and commissions Moses as an adult to lead them out of slavery. When God hears human cries, especially the cries of children, God is moved 
to silence the energy, the enemy, and the avenger. It is likewise the human voices of infants that most remind us of who God is and most remind us of our vaulted role under God to assume responsibility for time. Now this is the place in the sermon where standing beneath the stars and lifting our voices in praise to heaven leads us soon back to earth. It is the place where our worship of the sovereignty and majesty of God leads us to assume our responsibility for God's created order in the home, in the marketplace, in the public square. Many of us cannot help but despair over the tone and tenor of the culture wars being fought in countless, virtually in virtually every sector of our society today. Yet when we stop and think about it, we soon ask, aren't these battles at their essence geared to the question, what do we want our children to experience? To what do we want them to be exposed? What do we want them to know and when? In the concerns we have about the changing of our climate, aren't we ultimately asking what kind of air do we want our children to breathe? What kind of water do we want them to drink? What kind of earth do we want them to inherit? What kind of life do we want them to have? In the concerns we have about the world economy, Opportunity, inequality, poverty, indebtedness, inflation. Isn't much of our concern geared to the question, will our children be able to aspire at least to the life that we've had? Will the children of the world and in parts of the country be able to have at least something akin to what our own children have? And they hope for food, water, shelter, medical care, literacy. And of course, in all these concerns we have about safety, about violence, about school shootings, isn't it hard it geared to the question, how can we create a world that's safe for children? Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you, O oh God, have founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. Many years ago, I once passed a church marquee whose sermon title posted the week read, A World Safe for Children. I have never forgotten that title. To live a little lower than the angels is to live for the benefit of future generations. This is one reason that we at Westminster invest so much of our congregational resources in the staff and the leadership to develop children's ministry and family ministry. This is one of the reasons we invest so much of our congregational resources in agencies of local mission, 
many of which serve children of homeless families, of immigrants, of the incarcerated. This is why we invest so much of our congregational resources in ministry for children and youth on the Spirit Lake Indian Reservation a long way away in North Dakota. This is why we invest so much of our congregational resources serving what our founding partner in Kenya, Reverend Stephen Chege, refers to as the vulnerable children in the Rift Valley. And this is why so many individuals in our congregation invest so much time and resources as parents, as grandparents, as adoptive parents, as foster parents, as choral directors, as teachers, as coaches, as scout leaders, as tutors, as mentors, as aunts and uncles and doctors and nurses and social workers and counselors, all focused on children. When we assume responsibility for children, we assume responsibility for time. And this is why, whether religious or secular, elected officials, policymakers, people on the ground have no choice but to come together across ideological divides concerning the most intense and emotional issues that we as a people, that we as a polis, whether it is cultural and identity issues, the future of the climate, economic opportunity, safety from violence, race and racism, not to come together as adults is to allow the enemy and the avenger to prevail. Not to come together as adults is to turn away from the infant voices crying out to us from their baskets in the bulrushes to steward their world to safety. If we do not come together as adults, the answers will be imposed upon us by authoritarian leaders or it will evaporate into unbridled individualism. In which, like in the book of Judges, everyone does what is right in his or her own eyes. A time of anarchy and violence that was one of the lowest points in Israel's history. Coming together as adults is the only way in a democratic society to live into our divinely ordained role a little lower than the angels to assume our responsibility for time. Our time, our children's time, God's time. Amen.